You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, doing a little something, um, when Gil asked me about doing something, I came up with doing some of the uh, better known as Minor Prophets, uh, but I picked the name Lesser Prophets because the message is pretty strong and uh, forthcoming, and uh, it's just in fewer chapters. So anyway, this last week I did Nahum, who talked about the destruction of Nineveh, and it was a situation where Jonah had come, they responded, and then they forgot the message, and they went down even further uh, in their ruthlessness and violence, etc., this week, uh, we're talking about Zephaniah, who, um, if looking at the minor prophets, they're kind of divided into the first nine and the last three. And Zephaniah is the ninth one, which is somewhat a summary of the first eight. So you get some of the messages uh, that the others were talking about, but um, it becomes a little more condensed. In the first verse of the um, first verse, first chapter of Zephaniah, it gives his lineage. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gilhal, son of Amari, son of Zikiah, Hezekiah, excuse me, in the days of Hosiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judea. Well, he was a great grandson of. King Hezekiah, so it's kind of telling you what his lineage is, and his parents would have found that um, good in that they also, his name, Zephaniah, is Yahweh has hidden or protected. And at this point in time, when Josiah had became king between his great, his great grandfather, uh, King Hezekiah, his grandfather and his father were just, they had gone in the opposite direction of where the uh, Hezekiah had been. And religion as it related to Yahweh had just all but disappeared in just that smaller generation. And he, being uh, Josiah, worked toward bringing the people of Judea back toward God and the worship of God. Uh, some of that was successful, some of it was not. But anyway, Hezekiah, Zephaniah was a contemporary of Jeremiah, Nahum, and some of the others that were preaching, prophesying at this time. Part of it was some people are hard-headed and don't get a message real well, so several were saying, in effect, the same thing. What's different than us nowadays? Some of us uh, have to hear it. He also talks, and we'll get through it, about the day of the Lord more so than the others are using that terminology. And one thing I 
I don't know about y'all, but when I think of the day of the Lord, I think more punishment. But also, usually with the day of the Lord and using it, there's also hope, part of what he says. Um, when we hear that term here, somewhere shortly thereafter, it talks about a blessing. And then the destruction that he talks about, here again, we have the same sort of thing. The book is kind of divided into pieces like any book of the Bible is and different things. Uh, verses, um, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 9, talk about what's going to happen. And God starts with, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. And the rubble of, with the wicked will be cut off from mankind. What's interesting is, is when in Genesis, God was talking to Noah, and even before he found favor with Noah, he was looking down and he saw man. And what he saw was very um, disgusting to him, sort of, if you will. And uh, in chapter 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart were only evil. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man and had grieved him. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry I have made them. One thing different in what Zephaniah says, he includes fish. You know, the water came, and obviously the fish were in it. Now, God, through Zephaniah, is saying everything. All-inclusive and being everything. And he was, being God, was upset with what was happening with, not only in Judea, but all the countries that surrounded uh, Judea. Because at this point in time, Judea, being the lower kingdom, was still there. Jerusalem was in the area of the lower kingdom. The northern kingdom, or the um, Israel, had already been dispersed, carried off, and were in Babylon. But he, um, being God, talked about how to be destroyed were those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom. Well, that was a Ammonite king. And here, Zephaniah is talking about people were sort of covering their bases. Well, you know, I'll do Yahweh, I'll do this God, I'll do this, and just anything and everything, just to, like I say, cover their bases. And so it was really a time of, you know, from God's standpoint, frustration with man because of what was going on, not only with his chosen people, but in the surrounding areas. Um, then in um, the description of the doom of what's going to happen in verses 10 through 18. And it comes down to, he's talking about cor uh, corruption as it related to religion, religion, being uh, worshiping um, God along with false gods, 
um, you know, this was just something that was unacceptable. Um, also, the social customs of what the people were doing uh, in verses 8 and 9. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. Well, what was happening then, people were adopting the customs of those around them, dressing differently uh, than they might ordinarily have. Uh, the priest wearing robes that were not called for in the Old Testament as how they should serve. Uh, they wanted to be like and kind of blend in a lot with their neighbors. Also, they saw it as something that could uh, help them with, you know, being accepted politically, business-wise, anything else that would hopefully give them some advantage in what they did. Um, so they were doing that. Then also in commerce, they were um, doing, uh, uh, in verse 11, O inhabitants of mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. Well, it was injustice and corruption. The rich were getting richer off the backs of the poor. You know, we hear that talked about today in our own country. But that's what uh, was happening and probably in ways that we can't even comprehend. But the merchants, they were out for themselves. Uh, themselves first and, um, you know, they take from you what they needed and then some. Um, and then the other thing uh, had to do with indifference in verse 12 of chapter 1. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Well, that came about from the standpoint of, you know, God's just kind of there, almost like God created the earth if they believe that, and then departed. He wasn't in control. He didn't know what was going on. Um, and they just didn't care. Just whatever is whatever. You know, you do what you want. I'll do what I want. God's not going to have anything to say about it, and it won't be problematic. Um, that can be a problem in that um, God does know. Otherwise, why do we come on Sunday to hear the Word? Um, then he talks about uh, the judgment that is going to be coming even to... Um, Jerusalem, and to their enemies. Um, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hasting fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud. The day of the wrath is that day, a day of disaster. So <clears throat> here again, expanding on the judgment is coming. That time is near. And in doing that, he goes on and he starts to talk about, you know, all man. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make all of the inhabitants of the earth. Just everybody. He then goes on to talk about 
it's time, uh, looking at judgment of Judah's enemies. But first in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do His just commands. So here, Zephaniah is telling, here's the doom, here's what's coming, here's what's going to happen. But, if you repent and move forward with humbling yourself, then God will hear you. He tells them also to seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Some of that starts in some ways to me sounding like revelations and protecting yourself. Uh, but then he goes in and he talks about the various enemies that surround Judah and what would happen to them. So like in verse 5, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitants are left. The Philistines and the Jews, it was an ongoing battle. I mean, we read about that all through. The um, Philistines at times were mighty. Of course, we know the battle and, and read about in Samuel David facing Goliath. Um, and in fact, one of the things Goliath said um, when he came out and challenged the Jews, um, he called upon them to send out a man to fight him. And um, if Goliath won, all of you will become slaves and serve us. And if you win, all of us will serve you. Well, that was one of the things, and the Philistines were known for not only enslaving the soldiers, which was typical at this time in history, in that the soldiers you captured would be enslaved and serve the members of the um, winning army and others around. The Philistines went a step further. They enslaved the whole nation. But they didn't need any more slaves, so they would enslave them, sell them, and go after more. So it became something of uh, a commerce thing for them. But that's where um, God is angry with the Philistines and going to destroy them. Then he talks about Moab and Ammon. Now, those two areas are to the east on the other side of the Jordan. And they were from Moab and Ammon, who were the sons of Lot's daughters. And if you'll recall, um, Lot's daughters got him drunk and were impregnated by him, and that's where Moab and Ammon came from. So there was always a tension between the Jews and the Moabs and the Ammonites that were going like this. 
And part of what God called on for them was the fact that uh, they had taunted my people and made boast against their territory. They were, you know, they taunted them. They didn't necessarily fight, but they were not friendly toward them. And their pride also was something God was against them and after. Um, then he talks about Cush. Now, Cush, most of the time, we think of as being Egypt. Sometimes in the Bible it says Egypt. Other times it references Cush. And it tends to be about Egypt. Um, but other times it would be, uh, like Isaiah noted, the people of Cush um, were more Ethiopia, south of uh, Egypt. And some of this reference here, uh, the commentaries talk about, may have been both because Cush, um, those people were fierce warriors, uh, but also it had to do with talking about people that are both near and far. You know, Zephaniah early on is talking about all men. And back in this point in time, you, know, you get past Ethiopia, there wasn't anything there as far as what the people in this area knew at that time. Uh, that was kind of the end of the southern part of the world. The Mediterranean was at this time. Uh, that was the end of the east. Uh, and so he could have been talking about just far away. And then he talks about Assyria. Now, Assyria included both Babylon and Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, he talks about, and here again, by name, talks about it will be destroyed um, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. That means he'd take it away. One of the things, Babylon and Nineveh were both part of Assyria. And at various times, one was a little stronger than the other. Now, the fact that he's talking about destroying Nineveh, which happened in 621 B.C., would put him, being Zephaniah, about the same time of Nahum. But also, we know that what happened to Nineveh, the Babylon, Babylonian army, along with others, were involved with the destruction. Nineveh was a city that tended to be extremely violent. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, their concept of torture would be something we can't, I can't comprehend. Of. Stuff I read about, I'm kind of going, whoa. Uh, skin, skinning humans alive and posting the skins up on walls and whatnot. Some of that was just a message to future enemies, but just did things. Whereas Babylon was more secular. They weren't as violent. They weren't um, in that. But in either case, and in both cases, they were anything but a group of people that were pleasing to God. So that's why when he tells them, he'll destroy those areas. Um, and there will be nothing 
uh, left. Then, um, then in chapter 3, God makes a warning to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not pleasing to him either. Um, in verse 2 there, he, she, being <coughs> Judah, um, they listen to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does draw, not draw near her God. You know, they were totally away, mixed up. Because this was probably before Josiah was... He was working toward getting back to Yahweh, but for the most part, as I mentioned, they were going around using... worshiping other guys, try to cover their base. Uh, they didn't accept correction. You know, I ain't done anything wrong. Um, why should I need to listen to, um, to God? Um... Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They leave nothing till the morning. So, here again, he's talking about in Jerusalem, the officials didn't do things as they should. The merchants, the judges, they were against the people. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the Lord. And then about the correction, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Yeah. God is fair. Yeah. Our sins are our sins and we're going to be judged accordingly. And so if we don't listen and don't seek God's voice in helping us steer our way off course... That was the same thing that the Jews in Jerusalem of this time were doing. They weren't listening to God. They weren't seeking correction. They wouldn't draw near. So when Zephaniah here in chapter 3 says, the Lord within Jerusalem her, is righteous. He does no injustice. He's fair. And so his judgment of destruction is fair. You know, um, in Romans uh, 3, it talks about, or, or uh, Paul quotes, or, or Paul, we quote Paul, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, that's where they were. But they didn't have Christ to look toward. The gift of Christ from God had not come at this point in time. But we had the prophets. They weren't listening. But God's judgment is fair. Um, and, and I thought here that, um, and I mentioned a while ago, some of what's here is uh, like reading Revelation. And to me, when you read Revelation, you've kind of got two viewpoints you can take. One is of fear and dread, because <clears throat> it's can be pretty rough reading about it. But there's hope. If you're God's chosen, there's hope. Now, as happens many times, the just suffer. Maybe when the Jews were carried away to Babylon, 
there was a remnant that still was very believing in God, but they suffered the consequences of the majority, so to speak. And in Revelations, the same can happen, and the same happened here with God's promises, that there's hope for those that trust, those that look in faith toward God. Um, And so he's talking about how he's going to go after them. Um, And here again, one of the things that is comforting, um, I think, to us when we hear what Zephaniah is saying about the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jews, and in Revelations, talking about mankind in the end of time, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one, so that no one may boost, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has planned beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we have a means of getting and being right with God because of His gift. Here, God, through the prophets, not just Zephaniah, is telling the Jews that there is hope, but you need to do these things. Um, Then, in looking through the conversion of the nations, the latter part of chapter 3, God says to Israel, O sing aloud, O Daughters of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never fear again. Which is comfort to what is happening. So God had gone through and talked about the destruction of all the nations, of including Jerusalem, because they had um, not done what they should have done. This is coming about because of the people that will leave in the midst of a people of humble and lowly. They shall seek re- refuge in the name of the Lord, which is that small remnant that follow God, listen to God, respond to God, and now with Christ, through grace that we have, there's hope. And then we get to the last few chapters, a few verses, excuse me, of uh, chapter 3. And the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice with you over gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will gather those who mourn for the festival, for the worship. He will deal with your oppressors. He will save the lame. He will gather the outcast. He will change their shame into praise. At that time, and here again it goes back to I, will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. I will, I will, I will. God gives them a promise of hope, of restoration. 
So he talks about he being Zephaniah, speaking through the Holy speaking. I guess the Holy Spirit would have led him to write this and speak about the destruction and how total it will be. But then he ends the chapter, or the whole book really, with I will do these things, I will do those things to save, to gather, to quiet, and to get to your your enemies. They will be no more, but you will rejoice. So in the new kingdom, everything will be gathered together and will be worshiping and glorifying. That's kind of what I had. Like I said, it's uh, just been kind of a little something to look at the lots of prophets and get a little idea of what they were saying. And as I mentioned, the first um, nine of the minor or lesser known prophets uh, talk about uh, the destruction and um, going away, whereas the last three talk about uh, after the Jews had returned to Jerusalem and trying to find their ways. Thank you. Any questions, comments, thoughts? Time period again. I'm sorry, what is this time period? You had 600 B.C.? 621 was when Nineveh was destroyed. Okay. That's when it was wiped off the face of the earth. And um, so when he mentions that, that just kind of ties timing of Nahum and Zephaniah together. And just as an aside, it was in the 1840s when some German archaeologists found where Nineveh was. 2,400 years. So talking about being wiped. I mean, nobody even came to that place. And they found where digging down, you know, archaeologists can find and make sense out of a lot of stuff that just becomes kind of how they do that. Um, they found a lot of ash. Lots of ash. So it it was burned. When the Bible speaks of lesser and major prophets and the the Old Testament, is it based on on their writing to, as far as the length and the volume and what they did as far as how they write? <clears throat> I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know that. It's basically has to do with length. Because when they put the canon together, they obviously found what these 12 prophets were talking about and their warnings was noteworthy and should be included in the canon. But when you start looking at the prophets, you know, Isaiah in and of itself is a pretty long read. And then you get Jeremiah with Lamentations and that gets to be pretty long also. But then, as I mentioned, I think I was telling Gil, Daniel's in the Minor Prophets, certainly not lesser known, and uh, that can be a heavy lift. Yeah, for what it's worth, this one, in this, in this particular version of the Bible, it's only like three pages, but some of the ones after that are longer. Yeah, some of them are longer, but they're not still that long uh, as it relates. Um, but it has to do with, I think, more of the, the I length. I think it has to do with, you know, Isaiah more or less had multiple messages. 
possibly over a longer period of time, but I think it has to do with the length of the writing. And as, as a result, a lot of times when you're going through the Bible, oh, those are short, I'll get to them later. And you keep going and we always know what later is. Somewhere on the other side of the rainbow. <laughs> guilty a lot of um, a lot of times people when talking about the Old Testament versus the New Testament they talk about it as if there's no grace in the Old Testament and so I, I, it was good that you mentioned you know people that had faith were, were in a sense saved you know back yeah. then before we had the revelation of Christ um, their faith was counted to them as righteousness exactly and, um, and so there was a, there was a way he had not shown up yet, but I mean, there was there was a, a way, and, um, and so it's kind of comforting to know that among all these peoples that were wretched, those that just like now, those that believe, um, are saved. So. And you know, a lot of times, like it says in the Bible, and it says this with other Old Testament, I'll call them heroes for the moment. Um, Noah found favor with God which would tend to say Noah was righteous and his family, three sons were saved. But then if you start reading some of the lineage of the three sons, um, one of Noah's grandsons found to both Nineveh and Babylon. So a lot of this ties together sometimes, but, and that's what makes sometimes reading some of these fascinating. Thank y'all. I appreciate it. And uh, if you haven't been to church, see you there in a few minutes. If you have, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.